in, in last week's talk, Dojin introduced um, our ango, a month-long period of more intensive study and practice on the theme of the uh, six uh, perfect practices or virtues. In, in Sanskrit, they're called paramitas that are to be cultivated. The six are generosity, conduct, patience, enthusiasm, meditation, and wisdom. So during this ango, uh, there will be a chance to go more deeply into each of these virtues as practices. The word paramita is translated as perfection, gone beyond or gone to the other shore, over the top, you might say. <laughs> we are most familiar with the prajnaparamita, the perfection of wisdom, because we chant it together several times a week. Today, I want to talk about dana paramita, the perfection of generosity or giving. Dana is sometimes thought of as charity, materially helping people in need. In Buddhist tradition, dana includes the support of the lay community uh, for the uh, sangha leadership, the teacher and the institution. In Japan, uh, Zen monks still uh, practice takahatsu or alms begging. They go out from the temple carrying a staff and a bowl. They strike the staff against the ground and it makes the metal rings at the top of it jingle and they shout ho, which means uh, uh, dharma, uh, to announce their presence. And they wear a deep straw hat so that they, they don't make eye contact or see the person who is uh, putting an offering in their bowl so that the gift will be anonymous and that maintains its clarity of intention. Uh, Suzuki Roshi, the founder of San Francisco Zen Center, sometimes did this around uh, San Francisco in Japantown in the 60s. I think in Japan now it's mostly ceremonial, but in Southeast Asia, forest monks often follow a prohibition against handling money and depend on the dana of the lay community for their daily breakfast. In the Zen tradition, motivation is really central to dana. We don't follow a list of commands and prohibitions. Instead, we have advice, guidelines, and suggestions, and the inescapable responsibility to choose our own way of embodying the Buddhist teaching. To experience the consequences of our choice and hopefully to learn a thing or two along the way. Many of you here have gone through the lay ordination uh, process we call receiving the precepts. You sewed a small scale version of Buddha's robe and vowed to follow the advice, guidelines, and ethical principles that tend toward peace and happiness. The eighth one is something like uh, the eighth of these uh, uh, precepts. 
is called something like uh, give generously, don't be stingy or withholding. So in addition to being one of the practice, these six paramitas or practices, it's also part of the um, uh, bodhisattva vow or precepts that we, um, we ascribe to in this lay ordination. Let's see, the effort to follow that precept is an invaluable opening to self-inquiry because it connects to our most basic feelings about ourselves and the world. Do we give in order to feel virtuous and proud of ourselves? Were we guilt-tripped or shamed into giving? Were we bullied by someone in authority? Was there some unspoken, unspoken quid pro quo involved? Some teachers propose that giving is good because it accrues merit and creates karma that will bring future happiness. Others say that even this is self-clinging and an expectation of reward. In Mahayana Buddhism, any merit that might come with giving is to be dedicated to the liberation of others. We humans are characteristically full of mixed motives. We practice. The practice of dana then becomes a great teacher on our path uh, to awakening in this way. Any act of giving may be seen as a mirror that reflects our sincerity or commitment, our emotional state, our pride, Vanity, compassion, greed, denial. A gift will be both given or received with our whole self, including our contradictions and ambiguities, whether that is obvious to others or not. I guess most of us flash through uh, such a range of feelings whenever we are walking down the street, and, that see, and see that we are about to be panhandled by someone who wants spare change. Our self-talk might be, I'm trying so hard to save some money for a proper vacation or for an emergency. I can't consider giving anything right now. This person doesn't deserve uh, my gift. They'll spend it on something I don't approve of. I refuse to be panhandled this early in the morning. <laughs> this person needs way more help than I'm able to give. All those have been a subtext for me as I try to walk on and ignore someone with their hand out. I'm aware of the same voices when I have to listen to the KPFA pledge break <laughs> or, or try to clear my inbox which seems mostly desperate fund appeals by causes and organizations that I appreciate and many that I care strongly about. The three hindrances, greed, hate, and delusion, are sharply illuminated and reflected within our practice of, of dana. I'm invited to look at the fear that arises in me when I think of giving. What might happen if I give this gift? I'll be left short and unable to pay my bills. It'll come to be expected of me and eventually I'll have to dis disappoint someone. 
I'll end up living out of a grocery cart. It's so much easier to give from a feeling of abundance than from a feeling of need. Our dana practice will quickly reflect just where we are between those two feelings. There's a story of Ryokan, uh, who was a Zen master who lived in Japan about 200 years ago. He lived a very sparse and simple life in a little hut at the foot of a mountain. But Ryokan had a great feeling of personal abundance. One evening, a thief entered his hut, only to discover, to his chagrin, that there was nothing in it to steal. Ryokan returned to then and caught him. You, you, have come, you may have come a long way to visit me, he told the prowler, and you should not leave empty-handed. Please take my clothes as a gift. The thief was bewildered, but he took the clothes and slunk away. Ryokan sat naked watching the moon. Poor fellow, he mused. I wish I could have given him this beautiful moon. Where did Ryokan's generosity come from? Despite his very poor possessions, he must have had an, an enormous sense of personal abundance. Where was his self-protection that seems to come up in me so much when I'm faced with uh, a situation that calls for uh, uh, real dana? Did he have no sense of a separate self that needed to be protected? He was compassionate with the thief, a man who suffered with a deep feeling of need. He met him as such, and he gave him forgiveness along with his heartful contact and attention. Ryokan wishes he could have given him the beautiful moon, that Ryokan felt confident enough to greet this man with compassion makes me think that Ryokan was acting from that sense of great abundance. Thoreau said, a person is wealthy according to how much he can afford to do without. That has been a, a, a comfort and help to me uh, oftentimes when I'm, when I'm uh, struggling with uh, being able to afford to do without something. Ryokan generously gives us all a teaching about the alive world around us, about how to receive it and how to offer it, and how solidarity with it expands our feeling of gratitude, abundance, and connection. May we someday match Ryokan's gone beyond generosity. May we someday all receive and offer that beautiful moon that alive world around us. May we be kinder to each other, more compassionate. My favorite example of generosity is the blackberries in my yard. They have at least three ways of propagating. They send out long canes each in the spring and early summer that droop down and, and root wherever they touch the ground and where conditions are right. Um, and 
been the blackberry, the roots of the blackberry themselves uh, are pretty shallow. And wherever they near the surface of the ground and the, uh, they're warmed by the sun, I guess they feel the proximity to the uh, surface, uh, they send up uh, shoots. And then uh, there are the berries. New plants grow where the seeds are deposited by many uh, birds and animals that like to eat the sweet berries. Well, where I live, blackberries would still be very successful if they used only the root or cane methods of propagating. But no, every year, they also just push out these great clusters of beautiful berries way beyond what would be necessary for their survival and, and, um, and you know, botanical success. Apparently, just as an extravagant display of generosity. <laughs> I mean, what else can you make of that? <laughs> well, we could make of it that the blackberries love all the animals that love the blackberries. <laughs> we and the birds and the foxes, the raccoons, just to mention us larger ones, and then the countless insects, microbes, and fungi. We could make, it, make of it that the blackberries delight in that exchange. This is a very grand love offering. Can we allow ourselves to impute a motivation such as love or generosity to a plant, especially one with thorns? Well, Let's see, can we accept their relationship to their world as being an intimate, complex, and one might say enthusiastic interchange, even if not human? Looks like love to me. But if we try, we can remember our common ancestry with the plants. We can almost remember differentiating, then developing this amazing mutual dependence partnership with them in the oxygen-carbon dioxide exchange. That sounds like a love story to me. Seeing how we love them, it's not hard for me to imagine that they also love us, despite everything. But it's not just blackberries. It's the grasses and the trees and the vines. It is, it's as if they are conspiring together to make this world a garden. And us? <clears throat> well, Mary Oliver says that whoever you are, deep inside you is a beast shouting that the earth is exactly what it wanted. This is the generosity of life itself, over the top, beyond the beyond. The blackberries have perfected this phenomenon. The sun and the rain, even older and more experienced, show the same kind of generosity, falling freely and abundantly, whether needed or not. Ryokan's moon that has gone beyond generosity. Meanwhile, 
we newbies, how long have we been around here as humans? A uh, hundred thousand years or so, maybe. Uh, <clears throat> from just, we have to practice dana from just where we are now with all the complications that our experience brings to it. Whatever our material circumstances, we're invited to look within ourselves and to come forward with whatever we have to offer. This is part and parcel of our fundamental commitment to life, which we understand is a constant interchange of give and take. Start with your time and attention. What a gift it is to offer someone your deep and undivided attention. To listen carefully without judgment, without changing the subject, without running parallel experience. That is Adana practice. Please do that for each other. It builds solidarity and it makes all of us feel more at home. Some people recognize their own beauty and, and purposely share it with others. They may smile at strangers, walk as if they are dancing, dress beautifully, stylishly, humorously. Sometimes I have to stop and thank them out loud for the pleasure they generously offer to those around them. Others may not realize what an amazing gift they are in and of themselves and won't believe it when, even when people tell them. Thank you. Thank you for being in my life with all your beauty, wisdom, humor, experience, vulnerability, sincerity, pain, and generosity. Everyone beautiful in their own way. Then there is the gift of loving kindness to be offered to all, whether they need it or not, to all beings. Include yourself in that category also. Yourself, giving the gift of yourself to yourself. I hope that you also have enough feeling of material abundance to respond generously to the sanctuary fund so that we can pay the workmen uh, who will be remodeling this building this summer to better accommodate our Sangha activities. We're actively raising money for this purpose right now. John, would you bring out the collection plates? No, 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 no. no I'm just kidding. <laughs> We, we won't do it that way. But that doesn't mean you're going to get off easy. Instead, you're going to have to think about it for days. Examine your motivations, your hopes and fears. Sort yet again through your priorities. And then express all of that in a number, which you will be asked to say out loud to a member of the Stone Creek Fundraising Committee. This is a hard practice. <laughs> there are those who say that there's really no such thing as generosity, that every gift is some uh, uh, way of strategizing how to uh, 
pass on uh, the uh, personal DNA of the giver. But <clears throat> and that all giving is self-interested. More importantly, they say that self-interest is the only legitimate basis for human social and economic organization. The unfortunate thing about this story is, is that it is self-perpetuating and has become enshrined in political and economic orthodoxy by those who financially benefit from the systems that are based on it. To the point that any effective challenge to it has been almost banished from the public discourse. The hurting of wealth and power has gotten so extreme as to be seen as socially and planetarily pathological. It seems like that, uh, that solid wall of self-interest that has, has been established as, uh, as a social norm is the thing that stops every effort that, that people come up with almost in the direction of greater justice, equality, uh, uh, it, mutually beneficial interchange with the natural world. So consequently, we have powerful interests moving to privatize medical care, the school system, warfare, prisons, countless government agencies, did I say post office, and apparently have successfully privatized many of the politicians who we thought were supposed to represent and protect the public interest. Karl Marx described early human hunter-gatherer societies as primitive communism. He may have been a little speculative about what life was like at the time, but we do know of historical indigenous people whose economy was gift-based and all assets were shared. We also know that they were able to exist within the landscape for millennia without destroying the fabric of the uh, life support systems around them. And I remember reading about the uh, time when uh, it was after the main Indian wars when uh, all Indian children were to be sent to school to, uh, to be um, taught associate, you know, to, um, to be able to um, blend into uh, white society. And there was a big problem because the Indian children didn't know how to compete with each other for uh, progress in the, in the schools. And <clears throat> maybe they were uh, good at competing on the ball field or somewhere, but there was some, something that was, you know, that sense of individualism that our, our culture is more uh, based upon even then was hard for them. 
And if those ind indigenous people had selfish genes, they must have found ways to direct them into harmless channels. At this time, it's clear that we desperately need a new story to replace the good greed is good story. We need a story that recognizes and connects us with all beings, one that restores respect for giving and for generosity. This basic condition of life, which we may share with the sun, the rain, and the blackberries. I've been talking about feelings, qualities, and ideas that express how we are together, how we regard each other, how our connections to each other have become weakened, frayed, and unreliable, and in deep need of renewal. Decades of greed is good and look out for number one have strained our social cohesion. This has left us telling stories that pit groups against each other in some warlike drama of scarcity and selfishness. We have to be careful of the stories that we tell because often we will end up living them. Another of the story, one of these stories is that of racial superiority that continues to keep us divided and oppressed. We need a renewed social agreement or contract, a new story, a new contract. You're hearing this because you can feel this too. Sitting Sazen, we engage in the self-inquiry that helps us to see our alienation from the world, to see our separateness as empty and illusory, to see our fear as a source of hatred and ill will. The antidote to hatred is solidarity. We can make a contribution to this new story right here today this, this morning by imagining all humans as family. Imagine that we have the same Mother Earth and the same evolutionary story. Imagine that we care for each other. Imagine that we have organized society in such a way that healthcare, food, shelter, and education are human rights available to all. I can imagine how much more confidence and feeling of abundance we will have with a new story and a new contract based on generosity and solidarity. That power of imagination, of being able to imagine these things, gives us much more power to uh, enact them and to live them. And it is one of our main allies in healing the pathology of greed and hatred. And that hatred has not been uh, easy to maintain and enforce. How hard it has been to uh, recently to get us to hate the idea of immigrants who we see as our neighbors and as valuable uh, 
con contributors to the benefit of the whole society. <clears throat> but as we learn the healing effects of human solidarity, let us extend that feeling to the other forms of life, to plants and animals, and beyond that, to all beings, large and small, animate and inanimate, past, present, and future. All of them, as we ourselves, are interconnected in the same flux of impermanence, facing the same process of death, dispersal, and then reassembly into different forms. If we approach this in a material and embodied way, we find the material world is in constant rearrangement, with birth and death occurring throughout our bodies as well as outside them and our world faster than our synapses can fire to count them. Our skin constantly sheds its outer layers and builds up new cells from within. We give and receive liquids, solids, and gases in an almost steady stream. Some parts of our bodies hold on to what is given for years. Bones and teeth, for example, may retain certain gifts of calcium way past the time when our other tissues have been dispersed given back into this great river of change to become plant cells, seashells, or limestone. This is a hard lesson. It means that everything about ourselves that we dreamed and worked for is steadily, inevitably eroding away from underneath us. There's no place in body or mind that we can locate the eye where it may be safe and protected. The implication is that everything we love will die. That's hard. That's the bad news. The good news is that the great mother universe loves us, and the only place we can fall is right back into her arms. The good news is that we thrive on generosity, on being of service to others, of having a sense of purpose, of making conditions better for others. It brings us joy and it keeps us healthy. My, my wife just read a, a book of conversations between the Dalai Lama and uh, Desmond Tutu on the subject of joy. And um, one of the things that they referred to there were studies which show the health benefits of, be, of having a purpose in life and being of service to others. It just, you know, it, it decreases your blood pressure, it, it makes you more pleasant to be around, and it, uh, <laughs> it makes it, you're more slow, slow to um, get Alzheimer's or dementia, um, great benefits. So if you need a, a self-interest for generosity, there's plenty of research to, um, you know, to uh, uh, very well um, designed uh, research to support that. I say the great mother 
because it's how I'm the most comfortable trying to metaphorically personify the way natural systems work together for mutual benefit and move together toward beauty, diversity, complexity, and generosity. Great Mother also suggests that familial relationship between all beings that we as humans can resonate to is our deepest, most intimate relationship. As it is, it's us and we're it. We're raindrops in the ocean and what a wonderful wetness it is. The last of the paramitas, Prajnaparamita, wisdom, ties back to the first. As long as we're sorting ourselves into givers and receivers, we're still falling short of dana paramita. Wisdom teaches us that there is giving and receiving, but there are no givers and no receivers that the self who would give and the self who'd who would receive are basically uh, insubstantial. So if there is um, no giver and no receiver, then what becomes of the gift if they are one? <clears throat> when we have formal or yoki meals in Sashin, we pause just before food is served and chant, may we with all beings realize the emptiness of the three wheels, giver, receiver, and gift. When we truly realize this unity and emptiness, then our practice of dana has gone beyond. I'll, I'll end uh, with that Mary Oliver poem that uh, I referred to earlier. It's called Morning Poem. Every morning the world is created under the orange sticks of the sun, the heaped ashes of night turn into leaves again and fasten themselves to the high branches. And the ponds appear like black cloth on which are painted islands. Islands of summer lilies. If it's in your nature to be happy, you'll swim away along the soft trails for hours, your imagination alighting everywhere. But if your spirit carries within it the thorn that is heavier than lead, and it's all you can do to keep on trudging, there is still somewhere deep within you a beast shouting that the earth is exactly what it wanted. Each pond with its blazing lilies is a prayer heard and answered lavishly every morning. Whether or not you have ever dared to be happy, whether or not you have ever dared to pray. To me, this is a poem about solidarity. This beast that is still deep within each one of us, 
the part of ourselves that loves and prays for the natural landscape, the sunshine, the ponds, the lilies, is our animal self. I think she calls that inner love and resonance to the natural world a beast to emphasize that it is a wild and untamed part of ourselves. I believe it, it is something that we all share, however different the rest of our lives may be. In solidarity, the beast in me greets and celebrates, celebrates the beast in you.